Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. All right, Shaz, so thank you so much for, for joining us on Weekly Business Talk. I briefly mentioned to you, we have a whole load of listeners, thousands of them that, um, well, they're small and medium-sized business owners, they, they're in you know, web design, they're in you know, sales industry, marketing industry, uh, property, you know, we've got a really diverse listener base. But ultimately what we all have in common is we're running small and medium-sized businesses where, well, in times like this, we're almost, some of some of the listeners will be just looking to survive to get through out this difficult time, obviously, and we're in the midst of the, this pandemic and lockdown. But of course, the, the, you know, we want to grow successful businesses. We want to increase our knowledge within business. And so we speak to people as yourself, the Shaz, who have been in business a long time, who, well, you, of course, started. I'll let you explain a bit about your story, but... What interested me was someone who is in, who, whose main expertise is in the accountancy space right now. I mean, everybody's got a whole load of questions when it comes to uh, asking our accountants about self-employment benefits and furlough schemes and, you know, uh, grants and loans that are available to us. But um, I thought, you know, that would be someone who can share some valuable insights right now to our audience so that, as I say, we can learn to navigate ourselves through this difficult time, but then hopefully uh, off the back of it can come out and grow our business thereafter. Uh, but of course, I know you've now got, well, you, you're certainly a bit of an entrepreneur, you've got some other business interests that range into property and, um, you know, day nurseries and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to really picking your brains, getting some of your, your wisdom and, and sharing it with our audience. Um, but that, that is who Weekly Business Talk Worcester Base is. But enough of me telling you about about the about our listeners and about the podcast. Shaz, introduce yourself. What, what is it you do? And um, and tell me, can you, what, what is your day-to-day sort of operations and week-to-week operations all about? First of all, thank you very much, Scott, for having me uh, on your show. I know we've been trying to get this sorted for a couple of months now, in fact, I think. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been a while. But, uh, it's finally happened. Where there's a will, there's there's a way. In fact, that's the first business lesson. Uh, that's for, it's actually very fitting right now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So by profession, I'm an accountant. I have my own accountancy practice, uh, which I've been running for the last 18 years now. Uh, and that's when I really started my business journey uh, and as I've progressed on that journey I've then uh, started a few different businesses because very quickly I came to the realization uh, Scott that if you're in professional services running a small business be it an accountant uh, a, a lawyer uh, uh, an IFA for example uh, you'll earn reasonably decent money uh, running a business but you're never going to kind of really become financially independent unless you have a very strong base and a very strong business. And I can especially talk about the world of accountancy. Most small accountancy practice owners tend to earn a good salary. 
uh, they don't make you know significant profits and that's when it dawned upon me that really what I should be doing is creating multiple streams of income and that's when I started and I know of course not only that but also diversifying so that I don't rely on one source of income one type of income so I, I then started a few different businesses uh, ranging from uh, as you've already said a, a children's day nursery business a credit hire business a speaking coaching and consulting business which has worked incredibly well and a property business uh, so, so those are my five different streams uh, of income uh, as an entrepreneur you, I mean to some weeks are you on you know for example I dare say that certain times of the year you're all hands on deck when it comes to your accountancy business and then other days I mean does it completely vary or do you have it split up that you're really only working on certain businesses now or is it certain days or just at certain times of the year how do you split your time up now between them or is it a bit of an ad hoc just you deal with business as and when it comes it's a bit of both. Uh, I soon realized uh, that there were lots of accountants who are much better than I am at producing accounts and doing tax work and compliance work. Uh, so I went on this journey to try and employ uh, as many of those as I could, obviously depending on, on the capacity in my business. So I've got a fantastic team of accountants and, advice and tax advisors who work for me who pretty much run that business for me, truth be told. Uh, and I, ca I can say hand on a heart, they're all better than I am as an accountant or a tax advi advisor. However, I am in the same office, uh, sat in the, in, the, in the same room, although obviously it's a big room and it's divided up. So if anybody ever needs me, I'm there, pretty much an uh, open door uh, policy. So most of my time is taken up either looking at finding solutions for clients in terms of tax solutions or property solutions and, and the other uh, or the, and the rest of the time uh, I spend either on marketing my business so doing what you're doing recording pod podcasts or recording videos training sessions doing interviews writing blogs that type of stuff yeah but also then looking at, at property deals because what I found out very quickly was Property, so my accountancy practice, uh, we specialize in working with property investors. And one of the key reasons why property investors wanted to work with me and my uh, team was that because they saw that we were also property investors. So, so not only were, were we good at advising them about accounts, VAT or tax and all that type of stuff, but we were actually running a similar business to them so we understood their challenges their struggles their hopes their, their aspirations their dreams all of that stuff so we can share the journey with them and we kind of got what they were all about uh, and yeah. so, so I, I spent some of my time doing that too I can really relate to that actually uh, Shaz because um, coming from more of a legal sector from myself uh, again actively involved in the property space that again is how we get a lot of business in the property space or, or from investors and, and developers is because we have a good knowledge of the property space so it's always great when you're dealing with an expert that has not just um, knowledge about you know VAT tax or the legalities surrounding say property but that actually knows the, you know the real details of the business because they actively have interest within that business or that sector or field as well. Uh, so no doubt that's a great selling sort of um, um, it's a great pool for for clients to get them in. So um, so I can relate to that. Um, 
but it's something interesting you just said there. You, you, you mentioned there that you spend most of your time now on marketing these businesses by doing podcasts, writing articles. You've got books, of course, which we'll, we'll come to in order at some point in time. Um, was that something, because we find it so, well, something I always talk about was so many great businesses, so they're great at their individual craft, they're great accountant, they're, they're a great solicitor, but unfortunately running their business is a whole separate skill and, and sometimes they lack in that area, which we try and educate uh, these sort of uh, experts on. Was that something that you found out early on in your career that you need to be a marketer first or you need to spend more time doing that? Had that, did that happen naturally? Was there something that made you go, right, I will build these businesses, employ people and I will market them and be the, the face of these businesses, I'll do, develop the business? How did that come about? What, what brought you to that? I, I wish I had a mentor like you, uh, Scott, when I started uh, my business back in 2003. It took me the best part of eight years to do the hard graft, to make numerous, numerous, numerous mistakes. Uh, and I sometimes joke that I, I, I've pretty much made most of the mistakes uh, a business owner could make. Uh, that's how naive and uh, wet behind the ears I was when I started. Uh, so after about eight years of being in business, it then dawned upon me that what people are generally speaking doing, of course, you, you need to do CPD, continuing professional development, to learn your art, to learn obviously the regular updates in your industry. That's fair enough. But generally speaking, professionals of all sorts and types are sometimes fixated or programmed to become a better accountant, to become a better solicitor, to become a better IFA or whatever their profession may be. And what I realized, Scott, was once you're, you're good and you're pretty good and you know your business and you know your stuff, if you then spend another 25% time becoming even better, your income is not going to increase or improve with the same or in the same proportion. So just because you're 25% better now, you're not going to earn 25% more. However, if I spend that time improving my business by 25% more, it's likely I'll, I'll uh, increase the amount of revenue I generate for my business. Again, it might not be 25% by the way, but it could be 20%. And that's when I started changing my focus saying I need to do my continuing professional development. I need to keep up to date with tax and accountancy rules and changes. Of course I do. But, but the rest of the time, rather than trying to become a better accountant, let's now become better at marketing the services that I'm selling. And that how, how did, can you, did you have a, um, a time frame where, or, 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 a, or a sort of strategy where you say, this is how much time I focus on operations and this is how much time I focus on marketing? Is that, do you have a hard and fast rule for that? I mean, if, if there's people... For anybody listening out there and people wondering, how, you know, okay, but they are spend a day a week, uh, you know, a couple of days a week and so many hours. How, how do you try and do it? Yep. So, uh, and, I mean, it's kind of changed uh, over the, the years. So, uh, if I had a choice, and I, mean, I do have a choice, but, but if, if, if I wanted to, I could spend five days a week marketing now as business owners we really work seven days a week we don't work five days a week but I, I could spend every single day marketing however what I've done is I've got three of the people who work for me uh, who are assisting and supporting me with with my with the, with the marketing services so I don't have to spend five days 
I can now spend a day, a day and a half doing marketing. The rest of the time, obviously, all, all of my uh, team members who are in the marketing department are helping me with that. But but if somebody's out there, for example, they're running a business and let's say they're turning over £150,000 and they've got one or two employees and they're not able to spend that much time on marketing, I would say to start off with, spend at least half a day a week consistently on marketing. Unfortunately, what I find, Scott, is people might spend half a day for a month and then they start expecting results. It doesn't work like that. You've got to spend you know, uh, half a day a week for a whole year and have a strategy to then start seeing results. Just because you've posted on Facebook five times a day for a whole month, it doesn't mean people are going to start ringing you up now and saying, can you become my accountant or can you become my solicitor? It takes a lot longer than that. You have to earn the right to get their attention and then you have to earn the right to become their advisor. And that takes a lot of hard time and graft. So I'd say spend half a day a week consistently for a whole year and people will start seeing a change in terms of how many leads and how many clients they are generating. I hope that kind of answers your question. Uh, you know, it absolutely does because I, I do find often these things and I, I do like to try and take any of the, certainly for myself and running a, running a business, I try and take out all of the complicated matters and break it down to the real simple stuff. And, and really... It is as simple as that. It's a simple formula put in place. But more importantly, just because it's simple doesn't mean that they're easy. But the important part being is that you're consistently doing these simple things. Um, and that's where the hard part comes in because it's you know it's easy to go in and this week put some posts on LinkedIn, Facebook, or, or whatever it may be. But to do that week in, week out with, you know, with a, and make them good posts and good adverts, that is the, the hard part. And a lot of people, unfortunately, either don't see the value in it or can't can keep up with it. Um, so I'm glad you touched on that there. But yeah, consistently. So you would rather acquire a smaller amount of time but do it week in, week out for a prolonged period of time. I, I, I would 100% agree with that. That is actively, actively something that we promote as well, um, is that consistent action, even if it's in a smaller a smaller sort of uh, a smaller amount of it, but keep doing it day in, day out, or week in, week out, depending on what it is. Um, so, obviously, you're, you're in the account, so you must speak to a whole host of businesses, uh, very successful businesses, and unfortunately, some that, that really struggle. Uh, whilst we're talking about marketing, what, what is it, What are the common things that you see businesses doing wrong? And what are the common things that you see successful businesses doing that make them successful? And I'm asking specifically from your consultancy side and your accountancy side, is there any trends that you see that you know, somebody listening can go, I do that and that's a mistake or I need to do more of them? Do you mean purely from a marketing perspective or anything? Well, about business growth and, you know, if they want to improve their business, not necessarily just increase the revenue, but if they want to improve their business, maybe it might be as simple as going from a, a well-paid job because it's just them as a self-employed person to maybe having a couple of staff. But is there any trends that you see if people can implement that they will see a positive effect or if there's something that you see all the time that people are doing wrong and no doubt there is many of them but it's something that you see that just time and time again people are doing and it's really killing any sort of any sort of aspirations of growing their business or making money or, or you know whatever it may be for, but from a success point it's really hindering them yeah I mean that's that's a whole three day seminar by the way <laughs> Scott but what I'll try and do is I'll try and cover uh, a few which I hope your listeners and, and 
viewers will find useful. So the single biggest uh, problem that people have, in my experience, is they don't focus and pay as much attention to their pricing as they should do. So I'm pleased you asked that question because back up here, I wrote a book, okay, especially on pricing, uh, how the, the authority guide to profitable pricing. A lot of people are either working on low margins or no margins, uh, and they are underpricing because they have not really gone through a proper process of establishing what the true value of their product or service is. So I won't spend too much time on it, but what they'll generally do is if they've stopped working for an employer, they'll either charge the same as that employer or they'll charge a bit less to be competitive or they'll look in the marketplace and think, what are other people charging? So I'll charge a, charge a bit less than them because I'm a newcomer. They don't think about what additional value am I adding? How am I different? What's my USP? And therefore, what can I charge for that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm offering something nobody else is. So pricing is the first problem or issue or challenge people should address. The second one is the getting of a customer, Scott, is one of the most expensive things one can do. So spending time on marketing, spending time on sales, then obviously acquiring a customer where they get to know, like and trust you and then buy it from you, okay, takes up a lot of time, effort and energy. Once you've got that customer, you then want to be thinking, what else can we cross-sell or upsell to them, okay, that we're good at, which the customer or client needs. Most people aren't able to do that. So to give an example of my own business, for example, somebody may come to us and say, can you do my accounts and I'll do my own tax return. But then they might need payroll, they might need VAT returns, they might need CIS returns, they might need management accounts and all the other services that we offer. But until we educate them and tell them what we can and what we can't do, that customer or client won't always know what we could do for them, including obviously making a business plan and supporting them with the business plan. So people acquire a customer and only sell to them what they initially agreed to sell to them and they don't kind of take them upstream and think what, what other services or products can we offer them. That's where people fall short a lot. The third one we've already covered is they don't spend enough time on marketing their services because I've always said, or I say always, since I got to understand marketing better, I've said uh, when you're running a small business, you're not in the business of supplying those products or services. So I'm an accountant. I'm not in the business of selling accountancy uh, or selling accountancy services. I, as a business owner, I'm in the business of marketing accountancy services. So I think people need to pay more attention to marketing. And just to kind of pick up on the earlier point that you and I were talking about, once people spend half a day consistently, Scott, and they start seeing the results, what, what you'll find is they'll then say, ah, oh, what's going to happen if I now dedicate a whole day to marketing? So soon that half a day will become a day, will become a day and a half. And then they obviously start employing other team members who can help them with the marketing. So pricing is important. Cross-selling is important. Another big trap people fall into is they kind of the enthusiasm, enthusiasm they come into business with kind of dies down after uh, a few years. So people stop and fail to reinvent their business. Reinvention is very, very important. Thinking of 
how can we, as you said, take advantage of current trends? How can we do things differently? How can we acquire different types of clients or customers? I think there's a bit of interference that might be coming from your end, uh, Scott. Uh, so, so people fail uh, to reinvent their business to continuously improve. So if you think about Blockbuster, if you think about Kodak, if you think about you know, Toys R Us, those types of businesses, they fail to reinvent and change and adapt with time. Uh, and therefore now, unfortunately, most of them uh, are, are history. So reinvention is exactly very, very important. That's an interesting point, the reinvent, and it's actually a, a subject that we are, um, there's, 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 there's some, some parallels to this. Um, we're in the process of recording a video right now, Shaz, about the analysing uh, uh, analyzing your business during these sort of difficult times. Uh, take the time, you know, this upset in marketplace to really analyse your business and that covers a whole host of things, but very similar in a lot of ways to reinvent your business, you know, sitting down, reviewing what's working, what's not, and how you can improve. Um, what, uh, so, so there's a lot of, like I say, similarity there, but what would you say, if someone has to sit down and maybe look at, you know, maybe their business is getting a bit stale and they were going to reinvent, you know, what would be the first typical process that you would encourage people to do? Like, what are the actual physical actions that they can take? in order to reinvent themselves? So, the, the first question I ask them is to think about, are they in the right business? Just because you started off as an accountant, you've been an accountant for yes. the last five years, it doesn't mean I have to you know, carry on being an accountant until the day I decide to retire. The second thing I, I, I tell them to think about is, if knowing everything you know, be it being in, in the business that you're, you're going to remain in, or if you were to start a new business, what would you do? And if the answer is I'd still carry on, in my obviously example, I'd carry on being an accountant, then we'd say, okay, now what, what can you do differently? Because you're starting from scratch again, okay, that you didn't do previously, that would give you a competitive advantage. And that's when people then obviously start thinking about all the different possibilities, avenues, that are available to them. I'm sure you've heard of uh, things like doing a, a SWOT analysis or strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, that kind of stuff, a pestle analysis, looking at all, all, all the different opportunities. Uh, which and All of those things are great, by the way, but I find most of the answers are known to the business owner anyway, because they know what the problems are, they know what the blockages are, they know what the hurdles are, but they just, they are trying to solve the problem at the same level as where they've created it. And as you know, uh, Scott, you've, you need to see things from a different perspective in order to solve a, solve a problem which you've already created. Now, whether that, and again, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, I'll try and come back. Whether that means working with a, a mentor or a coach or educating yeah, yourself more about... It, uh, the, the, the two of the most important things or the best things I ever did, Scott, and good people like yourself were able to advise me at the time. One, they said to me, get a coach or a mentor. And the second thing they said was, uh, become part of a mastermind group. So pretty much every year uh, for the last 10 years, I've had a coach or a, and or a mentor and I've been part of a mastermind group. Uh, and those two things have made it, you know, a significant difference to my business. 
And, I mean, do you mean significant as in like a, a obvious and then you know significant you know change in the revenue that you're generating and the money that I mean is it that clear and obvious that because you've implemented this coach mentor I or mastermind that it's had a you know clear effect financially for you. So there's been the, 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 there's two huge benefits and obviously I talked about pricing and upselling and reinvention. There was a fourth thing linked with that uh, which fits in very well here, which is mindset. Yeah. Most people struggle because of mindset, because obviously of, of things in the past, their upbringing uh, and uh, experiences that they've had which hold them back. So what mastermind groups to help you do and coaching and mentoring is to kind of clear up, clean up, tidy up and improve your mindset. So that's, that's extremely important. Then the second thing what mastermind groups help you do is when you're around a group of people, let's say there's 10 people in your mastermind group and it could be the same business by the way, it could be uh, a different business. When you see somebody else increase their prices for example, upsell or do something else that you maybe can't do and you start, you see them do it and they explain to you how they've done it, you're then more likely to believe you can do it too, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, so I would agree with that there. Um, no, I mean, I, I do believe I have seen significant uptake in not even just revenue, which is obviously a, you know, a very important indicator of how well you're doing, but also just in how I operate my business and how I relate to customers and employees and how I engage with people, how I carry myself and, and sort of the problems that once you know, bothered me or challenged me, now all of a sudden become much easier. So I totally agree uh, getting in a mastermind group um, uh, or some sort of group where there's people that are hungry for more. Uh, I would agree with you. Huge part of uh, any success I've had as well. But here's a big one for you. Uh, it's interesting to, it'll be interesting to your point on this. I have informed people, I've told people about that before and I've actually had people turn their nose up at paying money to join mastermind groups or to get a coach or mentor, do you pay you know good money for these people and these this access? Do you believe in that? Um, and what do you if you do? What do you say to those folk that maybe go, I pay, I'm not going to pay money to have someone tell me you know or to be part of that group? But what's your thoughts on paying paying for access essentially? So I tell people that as an accountant. Paying for anything causes accountants huge pain. We like to charge people money, we don't like spending money. Uh, so uh, the, the, the question or the answer to your question is, it's not can someone afford to, it's can you afford not to. Yes. Uh, and I, I can see the barrier because the, uh, cards on the table, Scott, initially I struggled with it too. You know, somebody wants to charge me, let's say for example, 500 pounds to spend two hours with me. Oh, that's a 250 pounds an hour. Oh, I don't earn that in a whole day. I'm not going to pay somebody that much in two hours. Okay. Uh, but I can, uh, I can assure all of your listeners, viewers, followers, it's money extremely well spent. And had I have known, like I said, that these types of people exist, uh, the first thing I would have done is when I started my business is maybe taken a, a bank loan for £10,000 
and given it to a mentor, a coach, and said, here you go, can we start working together? Because all those hundreds of mistakes that I've made, uh, Scott, I would have avoided most of them. So, but what's really important is, it's not about saying, let's find somebody who I can pay 500 pounds to. First of all, identify your problems, look around, and then find a coach or a mentor who is, shares the same values as you, has possibly shared the same journey as you, has possibly helped other people who are going through what you're going through. So make sure that, that they're the right fit, you're comfortable with them. And if, if they are the right fit and you're comfortable with them, money is secondary because I can pretty much vouch based on my own experience by the way uh, and so uh, I know there are bad coaches out there I know there are bad mentors out there but based on my own experience every single penny that I've spent on coaching mentoring mastermind groups self-development and improvement Scott has paid a much higher dividend and return than I could ever imagine no, I, I think that I was going to bring that up there actually, Shaz, and that's really, really key to what you said there. Doing your due diligence, it's all very well and good going and finding a mentor. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, people that are wanting to do better, that are hungry, can be, although we all think of ourselves as very sharp and intelligent business people, we can be easily, uh, very impressionable that way. We can be sold uh, the, the rags to riches story, the quick fix, and all of a sudden agree to something and not really get it. One, we don't get enough from it. Might be our own fault. Or two, the, the mentor, the coach, the company don't really deliver on it. And so, um, but it's a great, it's a great selling that information is becoming big business now. So you have to really do your due diligence, don't you? Um, and again, I would just like to echo, I too have spent some top dollar on my education, on my, you know, learning and getting better um, and various different, you know, not just specific to my main industry, but in other things as well, particularly sales and marketing. Um, and it's also paid off. It's just, just something you touched on there. It's, you know, but obviously it's an important part to your success and to where you are now. And yet I see so many people devalue it or, or think that it's just something you have to do from time to time. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit like training. I'm a big, big advocate in regular training within a business, training your staff, training the people around about you on various things. And a lot of people see it as something that you do every so often um, whereas um, or something you did you know when was the last time you trained or we trained the last week instead of something you do every single week consistently week in week out you know, I, I see it very similar that way people see getting a coach mentor mastermind like that training it's, it's almost a bit of a drag for them it's a bit of a chore um, whereas they, could, they should be seeing it in a different way uh, maybe it's just because they've never seen the results from it yeah and it maybe takes something before they actually do that but but yeah business owners should much quicker than they do often um seek out some sort of guidance coaching mentorship masterminds and pay but after doing your due diligence to make sure it's aligned with with your values like you say um well, I, I, I'm, I'm conscious. I don't want to uh, miss the miss the elephant in the room, but obviously, right now we're in a, a very challenging time. And I think actually something you said, um, all these mistakes that you made, 
Um, that must be a common theme because every business owner I speak to has made a ton of mistakes and you learn from them, which is great. Um, but none of us have probably experienced what's going on right now. Um, well, very few people have experienced any, anything of this nature. Even sort of great depressions and recessions don't really compare to what we're going on right now. But the coronavirus and COVID-19 is hugely affecting the economy um, and affecting business operations in various ways. Some people are, are doing much better. Most people are not. Um, Again, from a business person, but an accountancy perspective, there's a whole lot of government initiatives. But first and foremost, what is your thoughts on the economy, the, the business? How is it for you? Just, you know, what, what is your general thoughts on the coronavirus and, and how it's affecting things? What are you getting from your clients and sort of other uh, business interests and associates just now? When it kind of started, let's say, five or six or seven weeks ago, people were panicking. Uh, there are still some who are panicking now, but generally speaking, as you know, business owners are very, most business owners in fact, are very quick to adapt. And that's why obviously they, they remain in business for so long because they have that ability. Uh, so, so now they're adapting and thinking, what can I now do to see myself through this particular challenge? And when we come out of it, whenever we come out of it, what are, am I going to be able to do to then make the most of the opportunities that are going to be there. Because make no mistake, Scott, a lot of businesses are going to fall by the wayside. That's going to happen. Are they the ones who will really... There will be winners, but there will be losers. Yeah. Are they the ones who are really poor, bad businesses anyway? Or, or are they the ones who were in certain sectors who've been hit the worst? A bit of both, I would say. Is, are we going to go into recession? No doubt. I look highly likely. Uh, I think yesterday I was reading uh, we've lost 2% of our GDP already. Some are saying it's going to be 10%, some are saying it's 12%. I don't really concern myself with what the exact percentage is going to be. What I do think is, okay, if that, if that were to happen, what are we going to do, to do differently? So we're in a place to make sure not only can, can we survive, but we can then take advantage of the situation in a nice way, by the way, what is the situation? Yeah. So, so, so we can safeguard our business, our customers, clients, our people and our team members so that we can grow because we made the right decisions at the right time. So the economy is going to suffer. How long is it, is it, is it going to suffer for? No one knows. But my own personal prediction is I think we're going to bounce back quicker than people think. So it could be 12 months, could be 18 months, but it's not going to be a long five year hole uh, as some people predict. Uh, so people, people need to get ready right now to make sure they're thinking of those ideas of how they can reinvent their business, do things differently and capitalize on the opportunities uh, because so many new businesses are going to start now who are, who are then going to grow pretty quickly. It would be a shame for the existing businesses who are able to adapt and survive for them not to be able to thrive in the future. Yeah. There is no doubt that off the back of these crisis times, crisis moments in, in history, there is incredible successes, there's opportunities out there right now. Um, and it might be, sadly, because a business has failed and suffered for various reasons. It might have been a bad business, it might have been bad leadership, it might have just been unfortunate, you know, industry circumstances, who knows, lack of support possibly from government, 
but you tend to find that you know that that entrepreneur who was weighed off because of this has got nothing to lose, goes into business, creates a huge, huge success off the back of this. So there's no doubt, I firmly believe, um, and, and entrepreneurs and business people tend to be, you know, 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10, whatever it is, whatever the stats are, they tend to be um, of a particular breed. Um, you know, you tend to be able to, like you say, adapt. And, and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason, but you just seem to have this continuous this attitude where you just go through anything and everything which is why you're in business in the first place because it's not for the light hearted uh, but I agree with you there will be a bit of a, a kicking that comes from this for some uh, there will be losers but there will be incredible wins uh, obviously uh, w- would it be controversial for me to ask what your thoughts are on uh, I've, I've had a lot of people a lot of people even just on LinkedIn and it maybe depends what angle you come to. Obviously, there's a whole. I mean, I see I'm in my office right now. Maybe I could argue maybe be classed as key working right now in terms of our industries. But, um, but well, you're allowed. You're England. You know, you're you're allowed back in your office now. Of course, you've been you've been allowed to go up in Scotland. We're still kind of locked down unless you're key industry. Um, but the, the the actual hysteria of this end of media attention is actually more damaging to businesses and the economy than the actual virus itself you know like it's, it's easier to sell a doom and gloom bad story than it is a success story so you know what, what's your thoughts on that well the media have one role and one role only which is either to sell newspapers or sell airtime or sell whatever they're selling to keep them going and they've realized this many many years ago by the way decades ago if not hundreds of years ago as in bad news sells much better much better than good news uh, and I think generally they, they might have persuaded or influenced the country about doom and gloom but I think they haven't really come across entrepreneurs and business owners and our hard grit our stubbornness as in we never give up and we keep fighting even in times of adversity. So no matter how much the, 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 the media tells us about doom and gloom and we're going to have a recession and a depression and GDP is going to fall by 10, 12, 15%, whatever the number is, I think uh, as, as you and I, alongside all the other business owners or most of the business owners, we're going to come out fighting, my friend, and we're going to get into business invite our hopefully all of our staff members back into the office and say let's sit down now and what are we going to do now to support our products our services our customers our clients our tenants our patients what are we going to do to be even better than we were before the virus started Uh, and that is what really makes a business owner and that's why you and i really get up now with i mean making money of course people like that but and I know you talked about it earlier, but that's just a consequence of doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. But what we get up for every morning is we think, how are we not today going to try and change the world in our own way? How are we going to improve things for our team members, for our community, for our customers, for our clients? And how are we going to be better today than we were yesterday? That's what really gives entrepreneurs and business owners a kick and a thrill. And I think because we love that so much, we're going to carry on looking for that even more. And right now with what we're going through, that's going to give us an even bigger thrill because we, in, against the odds, we're being told things are going to be very tough, very bad, it's going to be hard. 
money is going to be hard to get hold of. People aren't going to come out. They're not going to spend money. So we're going to come out, Scott, and we're going to prove all of those people wrong. And we're going to do that a lot quicker than the media is telling people. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't have said it better myself, Shaz. I, I almost like some things that doing on these. Uh, it's almost like right now, business owners are the underdogs. It makes you fight a bit harder. It makes you go a bit longer and stay a bit later, doesn't it? Uh, and I'm glad you share that thought as well. And I'm sure there's a lot of business owners that will take a lot of comfort in that. It'll hopefully, you know, uh, it'll hopefully, you know, fire up, make, get them fired up uh, a bit more than they already are. But of course, the government. And, and something that we spoke about prior to this call was that the government are giving us a lot of support. So, uh, I mean, and I think most business owners by now will know what they are allowed to. Uh, what was it, the, the coronavirus, um, uh, uh, so there was a coronavirus uh, loan scheme in place for larger size business. Now they've brought, brought in the bounce back uh, loan. I, I have heard that there has been great difficulty for um for certain what well, bounce back one seems to be quite easy to get. Um, we as a business took advantage of that, um, seemed fairly straightforward. But for different businesses where they don't qualify for that, there is obviously a different scheme available. Um, there's following the self employment thing. What, what, what initiatives, what are the main initiatives out there and, and are they working? What, how do people go about looking for them? What, you know, what's your take on it? So, uh, the the men. I was about to say the main one, it's not the main one, but the really easy one is if you have a business and you're paying business rates and you qualify for small business rates relief or rural rates relief uh, and your rateable value is obviously less than £15,000, you get £10,000 through your local authority or your council. A lot of businesses have had that, some haven't, so those who are listening who haven't had that but but uh, do qualify for small business rates relief or rural rates relief should contact their local council and all you have to do is email them uh, and send them your account number and a copy of your bank statement showing your bank uh, account number and your sort code and they'll transfer the t- t- 10,000 pounds to you. 10,000 pounds which is a which I mean certainly for people I mean that'll probably pay most people's rent in their premises for quite some time I would imagine depending on how big your yeah. office is obviously but if you qualify for small business rates it's going to cover certainly cover a right good proportion of it exactly. if you qualify. Yeah. Um, so the, the grants a great thing there. What about the um, what about furlough? I, I obviously just what was it yesterday, maybe the day before. Um, it's been it's been extended now. Excuse that right? That's right. That's right. So I'll come on to furlough in a second. For those businesses who are in retail, hospitality, or leisure, and their rateable value is more than fifteen thousand pounds, but less than fifty thousand and one pound, they get twenty five thousand pounds. So, yes. so, so then, then need to be aware of that. Coming on to that, that's only for the hot, Tell me that what sector is that? That's hospitality, retail, hospitality, and leisure. Right. Okay. They get a bit more of it because they are going to be significantly hit, of course. They are. Year, so they're they are. a bit more money there. Absolutely. Then the chancellor in, uh, introduced the furlough scheme, which is the job retention scheme, uh, and the government will, will pay up to eighty percent capped at £2,500, so 80% of two and a half thousand pounds per month for employees who you cannot afford to keep on the books. So you furlough them and they basically sit at home or they can get another job if they want to, by the way, uh, and that they get paid. And on 
Tuesday to, to a couple of days ago, the Chancellor extended that up until the end of October uh, and the government will continue paying the 80% up until the end of July and then they're going to expect employers to pay something. So uh, it's probably going to be 20% paid by the employer, 60% paid by the government. Uh, which, which I, and I think a lot of people have seen this negatively, in fact, Scotland saying, oh, well, this isn't good and employees are going to get used to getting free money. I don't think that's, that's the purpose here. The purpose is to give people like you and me confidence to say the government's with you, the government's backing you. If you are not able to get every single employee to come back to work, rest assured we're here, we're going to support you throughout this period. Because let's just say everything goes okay and the 1st of July we're allowed to go back into our offices and most people are allowed to go uh, back, back to work. You and I aren't going to say to our, uh, half our staff members, oh, you stay at home and you just get the 80%. We're going to say, come back into work. Let's now start uh, hitting the road to make sure we take advantage of all the opportunities available to us. Uh, so, so it's... See, see, just while we're on the furlough scheme, I actually found uh, somebody we had on the podcast, successful businessman down in uh, Essex, uh, CEO of the party man group, James Sinclair. Oh, yes, I know James. Do you know James? Yeah. yeah. But not what he called And I don't know if it was his original uh, suggestion, but that's where I heard it from, just to give him credit if it was him that brought it up. But something he said that would be very interesting is now the government have committed the money to doing this and the billions of pounds that it's going to cost. Um, and th- he said, I would suggest instead of saying, you know, biz- you know staff sat at home, uh, obviously there's a man who's sitting at home right now for safety reasons and for the, the coronavirus and, you know, all the rest of it. But even, uh, uh, he was basically saying, let them work, let them work and still get the money. And, and what that's going to do, instead of like just standing, standing stationary and getting support to survive, which is great, why not actually use it to give a bit of a boost to, you know, say, right, continue to work. There is some support on a weekly, monthly basis towards your costs and actually try and trade out of that. So the money's been committed anyway. So why not try and use it to fuel businesses to actually make profit again quicker instead of just saying, right, effectively sit the home staff member. He has a point, but where... So part of, in my introductions, Scott, the bit I didn't share with you, not for uh, any particular reason, was I'm also a, a... city councillor. So I'm involved in local politics, also very much interested in uh, central politics uh, and uh, have a keen interest on how Whitehall works, how government works, how they legislate. The whole point of the furlough scheme is that if you cannot afford to keep an employee on your books, then you furlough them. Not, not, okay, Furlough them just because you don't want to pay their salary. Now, a lot of business owners have thought, well, business is going to be tight, for example. Everything's shut, so we'll furlough you anyway. But that's not why the scheme was introduced. The scheme was introducing, if you can't afford to keep people on, we don't want them to become unemployed. Okay, so rather than them becoming, let's say, and I I use this word softly, rather than them becoming a... uh, 
reliant on, on the state or a burden on the state or use whatever word you like okay yes. okay and, and claiming job seekers allowance or, or some other allowances uh, or, or benefits uh, universal credit or something else will pay their uh, salary or 80 percent of their salary capped at two and a half thousand pounds that's what the scheme was introduced for so what james is saying would change the way that the scheme is presented and i think it would be very hard for the government to put that through uh, because it would give off the wrong signals. I, I see where he's coming from. He has a point and as, as an entrepreneur, I know exactly what he's saying as in people are sat at home anyway, they've got 37 and a half hours doing nothing. If they carried on working, they could support the, the existing business. But that's not what the scheme is there for. The scheme is there for to say, if you can't afford to keep somebody on and you're about to make them redundant, don't do that. Keep them on and we'll pay them. Yeah, it's, and I suppose these, you know, when it's almost, I would imagine, and certainly coming from your, uh, from what you say, your political background, I would imagine when these type of schemes are put in place, they're not, it's not something that I've talked about for half an hour and then put it in place. These things take a lot of legislation, a lot of legals go through, there's a lot of consultation done in a very quick time frame, no doubt. And when you put it in place, it's very difficult to then go back and change it in any huge way. But I found it interesting. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I found it interesting. It's great, the support. Uh, The last thing any business owner wants to do right now is is make somebody redundant, especially right now, because, you know, the support, let's be frank, uh, right where wrongly, I don't want to get into the politics of that, but the support that you get when you're not working isn't a lot of money. Um, and, um, And for somebody to go from a proper salary to you know, 50, 60 pounds a week or whatever is very damaging for them. Um, but it's interesting thought that if you could use this committed money to actually try and, I suppose it would be completely open for abuse though, that's the only thing, and how do you police that? Um, that, that is the big, one of the big things I thought is that this system is completely for people that want to abuse it and aren't in it for the, the spirit of what it's all about. It's, it's a dangerous game, but, um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting point he raises, like you said, and I, and I do see some some sense in it. Use this money that has been committed already to try and fuel businesses to grow and to help us out of this, uh, versus just keep the staff and the people safe, which is important. But let's try and use it so that the people can actually work um, or, or try and do something. That when we get back to an, you know, when we're, we're away from lockdown, let's use it to try and fuel business. Um, so, okay, um, interesting points on that. Now, we never quite spoke about the furlough scheme is one thing, but obviously there's been a huge kick-up, and I know I know a lot of the listeners are self-employed, um, small business owners, let's call them self-employed. There's been a whole you know objection about you're not allowed to include dividends, and I can see why. Um, but again, for the self-employed people, what the hell do they do? So those who are self-employed, okay, let's say as a sole trader business, they'll be okay as long as they meet the criteria and their profits are less than £50,000 a year and they file their, their tax returns. Those who, like me for example, uh, who have a limited company, uh, are a director of a company and an employee uh, and who see ourselves as self-employed, but in the eyes of the law, we're not self-employed, we're directors, therefore we're employees. Okay, uh, and generally speaking, the advice they've had from their accountants is to take a salary of, let's say, seven odd hundred pounds a month to stay uh, below the tax and NIC threshold. Uh, 
they are going to struggle uh, because the government will only give them 80% of that 700 odd pounds per month. Uh, and I see both sides of the argument uh, because one side I see is in you've had it good, you've not been paying national insurance, you've been paying less taxes. So for the last X number of years, be it two years, five years, ten years or longer, okay, you've had this advantage. So you've not paid as much into the system as the others have. Therefore, now we're supporting them and not supporting you. So I see that part side of the argument. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You can't have it both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get But it. I see their argument as well to, to say, you know what? We're running businesses. We're taking risks. We're employing people. We're generating revenue. We're obviously paying VAT or getting VAT collecting for, for, for HMRC. We pay corporation tax. We're paying some income tax, depending on how much money we take out personally. We're paying employers, national insurance contributions. We're paying business rates and all the other taxes. Yeah, just because we've not paid a bit of national insurance contributions, the government shouldn't uh, penalise us. And I think they have a very, very strong point. They have uh, or a strong argument. Uh, and uh, if I were advising the government, I, I said, OK, don't give them 80% of their dividends, but say, OK, we'll give you something. So, you know, hey, hey here's an extra. We'll give you 50% of your dividends, for example, capped at £50,000. So you, you, get, you still get less, but you get something because you are contributing to the economy. Because generally speaking, Scott, somebody who's self-employed running a sole trader business, for example, is going to have a small business. I don't know how many of them are making £50,000 profit. Most of them probably making £10,000, £20,000 profit. Whereas, yes. whereas compared to somebody who has a limited company, generally speaking, they tend to have a limited company because they have a slightly bigger business. So therefore, it could be argued and should be argued, they are contributing more into the exchequer, more into the economy. Therefore, they, should, they too should be supported. So yes. I think that the government uh, should have thought through that a bit better and they've kind of penalized uh, directors who are own limited companies uh, when really they should have supported them. Because think about it, they've pumped in uh, uh, the, some of the figures suggest best part of 500 billion pounds okay by the time this is done uh, maybe more maybe uh, a bit less so supporting the one odd million limited company owners okay isn't going to create that much of a bigger hole compared to the 500 billion yet when the when we get back to normal corporation tax might go up for example income tax might go up some of the other taxes might go up National insurance might go up, which the Chancellor has already hinted at by saying he's going to equalise the taxes. So they expect us, and I say us because I'm one of them, they expect us to contribute to everything that the, that the government's handed out, which I don't have a problem with, I'm absolutely happy with that. But they're not going to support these people at the time when they most needed it. It seems unfair. Yeah, as as you say there, it is not it's not a straightforward situation, is it? It's um, do you think that they've maybe put it in place, and as we said earlier on, there it's difficult to go back. They've set their stall out, and they need to commit to it. And and unfortunately, some people are going to be helped better than others uh, because, like you say, it's not it's not ticking every box for every person, is it? Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's no, and I, and I know that because of obviously my contacts, that there has been some pressure applied to the government to say 
come and accommodate people who are taking dividends. Uh, but at the moment, the government hasn't budged. And I think if the government came out and said, we'll give you something, but we're going to expect you to pay it back over the next five years, most people like myself would say, you know what, don't have a problem. Because right now we need the cash. You're going to see us through. You're going to assist us in surviving and getting through this particular period. If you do that over the next two, three, four, five years, if I've got to pay a bit extra to pay this back and to support the economy, as business owners, we have no problem with that. Yeah. We're, ha- we're happy to pay our way as long as it's a fair level playing field. Yeah, and that's a key thing there. That's a fair. It'll be interesting to see because there's no doubt that obviously things are going to increase taxes across various different areas. It's going to increase, but it'll be interesting to see when and by how much that is. Um, that's that's going to be a big question, isn't it? Well, I'm being told that the basic rate of tax is reached at 20% will be increased to, to, to 25% in a forthcoming budget. So that's a pretty significant increase, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be interesting, as I say, as time will tell. Um, for those out there still needing more, okay, they're not self-employed slash director level, they're on the furlough scheme uh, or not, uh, there's a grant available, obviously, from local authority. Um, We've talked about the bounce back, uh, which seems to be fairly straightforward to apply for. I tell you what, Scott, it's brilliant. Pretty much, pretty much everybody I've spoken to and everybody I know who's applied, the first four or five days, I think it was introduced last week, the first four or five days, most of the banks were taking 48 hours to uh, pass over uh, the funds. Now, from what I'm seeing, within 24 hours, the funds are, are being uh, passed down to, into the account. So it's working incredibly w- well, and I'm really impressed with it. Really impressed. What remind me, I'll forgive, is, is it a business interruption loan scheme, the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme? What is the deal with that one? Because I feel it seemed to not work for some reason. Was it just too difficult for... You know, was it because of the credit checks and some businesses didn't meet the criteria? Well, problems, let me put it this way. Uh, when that was introduced, on the same day, I spoke to a very senior bank manager uh, and my question to him was that basically some businesses out there might think this is money for old rope, so everybody's going to apply for it. And his response, to paraphrase him, was people who had a crap business who were not, were not credit-worthy before this whole thing started, we're not going to be lending a single penny to them. And I think that's the attitude most banks have taken. Uh, and because, obviously, only 80% of uh, the loan is government-backed, 20% risk is being taken by uh, the banks, they've still been very cautious in doing all the checks and balances, and it's taken longer to get the money out. Hence why, obviously, the Chancellor introduced the bounce back loan. But with the coronavirus business loan, there's two different types of ways that the banks are dealing with it. The first one is called businesses, depending on their credit worthiness and their reputation uh, and their track record, have like a pre-agreed limit. So if you ask for, so let's say you're making £100,000 profit per year. And if your pre-agreed limit is £100,000, if you ask your bank for that, you'll get that through the coronavirus business interruption loan within about three to four weeks. 
The interest rate being charged is about 3.2% there or thereabouts, give or take uh, a few small uh, percentage points. But, decimal points, sorry. Uh, but if you want to go for the fully fledged coronavirus business interruption loan, uh, then it's taking a long time because then the bank wants possibly a business plan, they want cash flow projections, they want uh, management accounts. And a lot of my clients who applied for that, by the way, you've got really big businesses, I'm talking about uh, millions of pounds of turnover, they're still going through that process. Those are my clients who agreed to go with the pre-agreed limit, most of them have had their money. So, yeah. yeah. And naturally, when you're doing significant turnover, when you're in the millions of pound mark, um, then, then of course, it is more complicated, there is more factors to take into account, and, um, and, and, and rightly so, I suppose, it's, you know, banks doing their due diligence, not just owning money to any business. Um, certainly not the ones, that like you say, is that we're running poorly anyway, and you're just feeding money to them for no reason. Um, yeah, I, I suppose that's lessons for business owners because you never know when these types of things are going to come But running your business right and proper, doing the things that you need to do, um, in times like this shows that you, you should always be applying. You know, submitting things when you're supposed to. Uh, make sure that you're you know checking all the boxes the way that you should do. When you're Paying doing. your bills on time. And exactly, um, and, and not defaulting, etc., etc. Um, it's important. You know, it's, it's important. You know, some people. You know, business owners, they don't care um, about these types of things. It's, you know, they're, they're doing it to make quick money, a two or three year period, they shut up shop, they come back again. That never in the long run ever, ever, ever pays off. And I think now uh, some of those people will be really kicking themselves that they've not just run a proper uh, and, and a good good quality business. Um, What's your thoughts then in terms of, like, I know you said that the economy is going to, I mean, we will naturally take, take, a, take a bit of a hat with a recession, uh, but you, you, you're you hopeful or you're, you're expecting that it's not going to be as damaging as maybe what, it, what some are suggesting? I don't think it's going to be long term. Uh, 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 my own prediction is within 18 months, I think we're going to see a, a, a bounce back and then slowly, slowly things are going to start improving. Of course, I mean, you've had the whole country basically shut down in a way. So to restart that, it's going to take a number of months to, to, to get people to get back to normal. And then obviously uh, the consumer needs to have confidence. Are people going to go out? Are they going to go shopping? Are they going to go to restaurants? Are they going to go to bars, pubs, clubs and all the other things? Well, a lot of people are going to be cautious. Are they going to go uh, to holiday overseas? Maybe not. So that's why I think it's going to take the best part of 18 months for, for, for people to kind of gain that confidence and then say, okay, maybe now it's safe, it's okay. We can do things like we used to do them 18 months ago pre-coronavirus. So I think within 18 months, maximum two years, we're then going to start seeing things getting back, back to normal. This isn't going to be a, 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 a five-year thing. I don't think anyway. No, I, I, I agree with you, um, actually, in time frames, that, that's, uh, I had originally thought within a couple of years, that's where, where my initial, my own thoughts were. Um, just because we'd mentioned that uh, before the, the interview here, uh, the property world, just to touch on that there, I know you have interest in the property space. Um, just recently, you've got a large development, just been granted planning permission, I don't know if you can discuss that too much, but what's your thoughts for the world of property, I mean, again, you could probably fill another hour or just that alone or longer. Um, 
But for people that are interested in property and investing in property, do, do you see opportunity? Is there going to be problems for people that are trying to sell in terms of house prices dropping? And we spoke already where there is prices going down for one and where there's problems for one person, there's opportunity for another. But again, what's your general thoughts on that? And you know, if you can talk about your development, what's what's happening there? More than happy to. Uh, so the agents I've spoken to who are in the know-how and know more about that particular marketplace than I do, because obviously that's their day-to-day business, are kind of telling me that property prices will probably take a, a 15 to 20% hit in the next year. Yeah. That's what they're telling me. Uh, so even if it's not... in house prices or in the amount of customers selling? In terms of house prices. So yeah. a house that, that, that was worth 200,000 pounds pre-corona is now going to take a 15 to 20% hit. So it's going to lose between 30 to 40,000 pounds over the next... Substantial. It is, it is substantial. If that happens, what that means is obviously if and, and people are uh, selling, then that creates opportunities for the buyer. Yeah. Are less people going to sell? Of course less people are going to sell because nobody wants to take a 15-20% hit. But the market is still going to carry on uh, trading. So there will be people who are selling for different reasons because of their circumstances. So there will be opportunities there for people. What do I think of property generally speaking? And then I'll answer your question about my own development. I think property is one of the best businesses ever. Because property, Scott, is a business you can do on your own. Never have to employ anybody. Have subcontractors, outsource, offshore, do all that kind of stuff. And yet, you get the same time, you can have a team of 100 people sat in an office working for you. As an accountant, I, I can try and do that, but I'm going to struggle. I do need some people in the office. Property, you have that flexibility. You could pretty much just run your business really from a laptop or a, 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 a smartphone. Uh, so, and there's so many different variations in terms of commercial, residential. Are you doing HMOs? Are, are you a letting agent? Are you doing deal sourcing? Are you doing commercial conversion? Are you buying land? Are you flipping? There's so many different variations of property. And of course, you can diversify into uh, a few of those. Coming on to my own development. In fact, one last point. Anybody who has a business should diversify their income. Uh, and I would suggest that they seriously consider and look at property. It's a very good investment. Take a long-term view uh, and make sure whenever you buy property that two things happen. The first one is it's in a good location. So it cash flows. So every month you've got some net profit or net cash coming in. And secondly, obviously over a, a, Celeste, a, a 20 year period, the property is going to appreciate in value anyhow. So you've got two benefits there. Uh, I, the ones that I see, Scott, who don't like property or enjoy property once they go into it, who are the ones who think about capital appreciation and don't think about cash flow. Cash flow is more important than capital appreciation. Capital appreciation yeah. is a Brucey bonus for want of a better expression. Dangerous game, isn't it, to play just based on buy now and, and it'll grow in value and over leverage. It's a, it's a very dangerous game to yeah. play. No, yeah, th- that's not the game that I, I endorse. I always say cash flow first, capital appreciation later. Uh, and yeah. so my development, uh, we've got uh, outline planning for 40 houses uh, and we've just now gone in for full planning. Uh, so that's hopefully going to go through and that now... And is that situation known about house, is that 
is that something you're just going to ride out and because of the size of the development that's okay with you or does that concern you in doing that kind of larger size development uh, well by the time we get it built out from today it's going to take let's say two to three years yes. by that time from how you and I see the economy recovering we're going to be back to some form of normal, whatever the normal is, whether it's the old normal or the new normal. Uh, yeah. so, so that. But the other opportunity is this, by the way, is there are housing associations who always need houses based on the current deficit. So I've already been approached or are in, are in communication conversation with a housing association who wants to buy the entire development. So now I'm thinking about, okay, do I want the initial markup, which is a pretty healthy markup, by the way, a very healthy markup. Uh, do I want the initial markup and pass the whole thing to a housing development? Do I now want to do some kind of a joint venture with them? Or do I want to build it out myself and obviously in two or three years reap the reward or cut the plot up into two or three and sell maybe 15 to 30 units to small developers and then build out 10 myself. So I've got four or five options here, which is good by the way, because you'll know uh, based on your own background, when you have options, that's the best place to be. When you only have one option or no options, that's the worst place to be. But just to uh, finish off, Scott, having one of anything is bad, isn't it? Having yeah. one income stream, one supplier, or one customer, one really important team member, okay? And one of anything in business is the worst number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's a very, very good way of looking at it. Well, Shaz, thank you so much for, for, for sharing a whole lot of insights there. It was really interesting uh, speaking to you. If somebody wanted to reach out, you know, I know you've got, you've, you've authored various books. Um, if somebody was needing some tax advice, or account, so where is the best place to get a hold of you? How do we, we, we see more about Shaz? Where do, we, where do we contact you? So a couple of websites. If they're a general business owner, they can go onto my uh, general business uh, accountancy website, which is aaaccountants.co.uk so aa-accountants.co.uk uh, if they're a uh, property investor then then they can go on to my property in investing uh, website which is entrust 
propertytax.co.uk. But to make it really easier for people, you can just email me on shaz at aa-accountant with an S at the end, .co.uk. Perfect. We'll, we'll link all of that in there anyway, Shaz, so we will, we'll make sure that people are well aware. Thank you, Scott. Um, well, thank you. Thank you, as I said, for sharing those insights. It's been interesting. I'm sure there's been a lot of people getting a lot of interest uh, from it, getting a lot of little, um, hopefully some tactics and some, some insights. Um, and um, and here's here's hoping that we can all collectively get together and, and sort of get our way out of this, uh, this problem time uh, in a stronger position. So thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Scott, uh, and all the best. Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.